Welcome to the Game and Going Deeper podcast, a podcast series by the Gamens Brotherhood, where we talk about personal development, mental health, and sexuality. Your hosts today are Callan, Michael, and myself, Matt. Collectively, we have over 40 years of experience in the personal development world. And if this is your first time listening to us, we want to welcome you. We each have our own coaching practice, but in this podcast, we're always giving away all of our best stuff. Today, we are talking about victimhood. I'm sure it's everybody's most favorite thing to talk about, <laughs> but we, we see an importance in, in bringing this up um, in this podcast, so we're excited to be unpacking it. Uh, we're going to be exploring um, how um, have we been victimized, victimized as gay men, what impact do you see in our community from this victimization, what is your personal experience with victimhood, how have you moved through victimhood, and what advice can you offer people who may be stuck in victimhood? So lots of good stuff we're going to be going over today. Um, and we will continue these discussions on the last Thursday of every month in the Game Men's Brotherhood Zoom Hangout, where you will have a chance to share your own experiences. That will be February 24th. This podcast and YouTube channel is listener and viewer supported. If you really enjoy what we're creating, you can support us by heading over to our Patreon page in the show notes and contributing to help support the show. It helps us continue making content for you, to, uh, for you and supporting our community, and we do thank you in advance. Uh, the Gay Men Going Deeper membership doors are open. Um, if you have been waiting to join um, in on more Zooms and some coursework and going deeper on your personal development journey, come and join us in the Gay Men Going Deeper membership. Uh, we have a lot of great programming planned for this coming year. You can head over to gaymengoingdeeper.com and register today. All right, so before we jump in, I want to read a review uh, on Apple um, from Carl Richards. And he says, great insights. It's refreshing to hear a podcast that's real, gridly, and gets to root truth with suggested ideas and solutions to live the gay life. So thank you, Carl. We appreciate your love. All right, so victimhood. Um, we chose this topic because we, we, we see the, the importance of being able to understand, um, well, first of all, what it means to be in, in victim energy and um, the importance of this on the healing journey, right? Um, so what does it mean to be a victim? Uh, this is somebody who has been mistreated or perceived as being mistreated. Um, and this could be either by the system or individually. So it could be systemic or individualistic. These sorts of things can show up as like neglect, abuse, abandonment, oppression, or marginalization. So it could be homophobia, transphobia, or racism. Um, shaming, being controlled, being lied to, being criticized, being denied access to human rights or privileges. So I first want to start off by just saying that this um, being in victimhood is, is very, it's a, it's a normal and a natural stage that we move through on the healing journey, um, specifically related to grief. Um, when we are healing from grief, we often go through the first three stages of the grief cycle are going to often be associated with more of that victim energy. Um, so the, the five stages of grief are going to be denial, anger, bargaining or blaming. I like to kind of play with both of those. And then the, the, those are the first three, uh, which can often be associated with this victim energy. And then the last two of depression and acceptance uh, on the grief cycle are usually when we start to move towards surrendering um, and forgiving, right? So um, 
So it, it's important um, to it's important on in the victim stage of the healing journey to allow yourself to feel what perhaps you didn't feel when you went through the traumatic or the or the experience where you experienced uh, the victimization. Oftentimes, when we don't when we're not aware of the needs that we had in the times when we were victimized or traumatized, we get stuck and we, we end up staying in the victim cycle and we, we have a hard time getting out of it because we don't feel valued. We don't feel validated in our emotions. And that is usually the, the unmet need of victimization or feel, or staying in victimhood is we don't feel emotionally validated. And um, so this is, this is a big part of it. So um so it is normal, it is natural to go through this, but where it becomes problematic is when we linger for too long in this space and we don't, um, we don't do the healing around it. We stay stuck in those first three stages and, and usually blaming is a big, a big part of that. Um, and we, we make everybody else accountable for our, our suffering. And I think part of the healing journey of moving through victimhood is to take responsibility for um, our present right? Um, knowing that maybe the things that happened in our past were out of our control, but we do have control in the present moment now. And uh, that's when we start our healing journey, in my opinion. Um, and we start to see great results when we move out of that victim energy. Um, I want to say too, that it does, um, victim energy, it can become a currency for people. Um, we get some, some of us get our needs met. Some of us get validated for, you know, like if, if something happened to us and we stay stuck in that energy of punishing other people for what they did, it can give us that, that power over or that hands up um, in that. So we want to be really mindful of if we are using our victim energy as a currency to hold other people hostage um, and, and punish them for the things that they did, it's going to just keep us stuck again in that blaming cycle. So um so let's let's move into the first question. Um, how have we been victimized as gay men? I want to um, I'm going to pass it over to Michael because I think um, yeah I'll, I'll go last on 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 the questions today. All right, yeah, great intro, Matt. Um, mm, I think this you. is a really important topic, and for all yeah. the reasons you you mentioned, um, I think you know it may not be the most fun, but it is probably something that's very necessary. And to be frank, something I don't see a lot of us, a lot of gay men in general talking about. So I'm really honored to share this space with uh, you guys today and talk about it. Mm -hmm. Okay. Uh, first question was how, how are we, how have we been victimized as gay men? Yeah. So, I mean, take your pick. <laughs> how have we not been victimized as gay men? I'm going to answer this first from the perspective of like the collective um, looking back, right? So being victimized is part of our history as a queer people. And we're only now just beginning, just beginning to shift that, right? And for thousands of years, queer people have been reviled by cultures all over the world. We've been dehumanized, imprisoned for centuries. Uh, in many places, even today, being gay is criminal, right? Um, just, just for being ourselves, right? In some cases, in some cases, people today, like I want to reiterate, today, even in 2021, people are being killed. Uh, imprisoned for their sexuality 2022 sorry <laughs> i don't know what year it is guys it is 2022 thank you fact check um yeah and, and our entire political and economic system has been built on establishing uh us 
queer people and and not just queer people but any marginalized people as invisible and powerless right so it's not just it's not just gay men it's a lot of people that are in this system where we are othered uh you know i grew up in the catholic church so i was denounced as immoral and a sinner um just just for being me even in police so Police have brutalized us and beaten queer people for, again, centuries for a very long time, even today, still happening. And even in the not so distant past, if you look back at the AIDS crisis of the 80s, uh, we were discriminated against and people in power, this is not that long ago, guys, people in power did nothing for years to provide treatment, funding, uh, legal rights for people who were dying. And so, you know, I was a kid growing up in the 80s and early 90s, and I remember thinking, you know, being gay is fucking miserable. I don't want to be this. This is terrible. So it's not even that long that we've kind of had these rights only recently and only in the Western world, right? So, you know, even today, it's still very hard for gay men to uh, raise a family. It's hard for us to have children um, or adopt children, rather. Uh, even recognizing gay marriage is still something we're celebrating today, rightfully so. In Canada, it was 2005, which is re relatively early, but it's only something that we're getting to now. So, you know, and, and again, hate crimes, we are the target of hate crimes all over the world, even today. And yes, yes, even here in Canada, I know people think Canada is this beautiful human rights haven, and it is. I love it here. It is. But our shit stinks too. We have a lot of work to do here as well. So, at the collective level, those are just some examples of how I think we've been victimized. At the individual level, I was kind of saying before how, you know, as soon as we're born, we are othered. We're born in the society, hetero, patriarchal society, and, and we have no choice. All of a sudden, we're just put in this camp of, oh, wait, you are not like the rest of us. You are othered. Mm -hmm. So I, I think being victimized can easily be part of our identity and my mission as a gay man now in the present day, 2022, is to be part of the movement that changes that. And I think that's what all three of us are part of um, and the Gay Men's Brotherhood in this podcast is to empower people, especially gay men. Because if, if victimhood is, I would define it as the absence of power or powerlessness, then I think what I want to do is teach people how to be empowered. So I'm, I'm ultra passionate about it. And uh, I'm looking forward to our to our chat here today, especially to get into these next few questions. So, yeah, I answer that a bit from the collective perspective because I think it is really important to understand that we are just at the this this far into changing the tide on what it means to be a, a gay man in a society where we don't have to fight for our rights. So that's where I'm going to leave it, and uh, I'll pass it over to Callan. Wow, thanks for all that. There was a lot, there's a lot to unpack there and there's a lot to unpack today. Um, so I'm just gonna preface with like, you know, I'm very much not gonna get today perfect and talking about all this and everything we say is gonna be our opinions today. Cause I know that this is a very heavy, heavy topic. I apologize, I think there's drilling happening and if you can hear that, my bad. Um, and so it's a very, very heavy topic to be diving into. And I know that you know, some people who are heavy, heavy into associating with that victim energy, um, you know, they can have, they have their own views and opinions. And then there's the opposite side where people have been like, no, I don't want to be associated with the victim so much so that I know people who've gone through things and refuse to talk about them because they don't want to have that label put on them. 
And um, I guess what I'm going to talk about here in this opening question is kind of that balancing space in between. Um, and I'm going to take back to actually what Matt, you said about, you know, things happened to us in the past that weren't necessarily our faults, especially in our childhoods and our early, you know, youth and teen years. But as adults, you know, specifically adult men or adults, it's now our responsibility to look back at that and to be able to do the healing around those traumas. Mm -hmm. So can you all hear that drilling? Is it really loud? Okay. If it was really loud, I'd be like, okay, stop talking. Um, Cause I can hear it like crazy. My building, sorry, my building has been like drilling and doing work for the past two years. And I can't figure out like the building keeps denying it. We can't figure out where it's coming from. Like it's been obnoxious anyways, diving back in. So, um, so when you come to this space and I've come to these realizations recently where I really didn't want to be associated with victim energy, but almost to the point where like my pendulum was swinging too far to that direction of like, I didn't want to claim anything. Like I didn't want to associate myself with what had happened or what went on and all these other things. And through therapy, I kind of managed to bring that pendulum back into that middle ground area where you can find that space where you can acknowledge what happened. You can go through it and process it and grieve it and get angry about it and get frustrated with it. Just like, you know, Matt said, there's the layers to it. You, you know, you have to be able to go through that and you have to be able to experience those emotions and those feelings because they're not just going to go away. We've talked about this multiple times. Those feelings and those emotions can't just be stomped down and disappear. Like they will show up in your life in many different other areas. And so when I flew so far to the, I'm not a victim energy, I had to learn how to come back. And part of that journey for me is learning how to associate with those emotions again, learning how to feel those emotions, learning how to get into my body and feel safe in my body while experiencing those emotions. Um, And so a lot of what Michael, you were saying, the community at large has experienced so many of these like community group energies of group traumas. So you know, I talked about kind of my, my micro on my personal level, but then on the, you know, the big scale thing as a community, we've experienced a lot of these pains and hurts and traumas. And the hard part about that is that as a community, we all have to do the individual work, but you know, the community is going to reflect everything going on. Right. And so I saw a post the other day where it's like, you know, (laughs) the community is always just like, we always stand up for rights and we're always fighting for what we believe in. And like, we really do push the barrier on so many things because we know we need to, we know we need to push back when people say no to us or where they, you know, they want to demonize us and all these other things. But then sometimes we get supporters or other people and then we turn around, we go, no, you're not doing it right. No, don't help us like that. (laughs) No, don't support us like that. And it's because it comes from that hurt place, that traumatic place where we've experienced those pains. And we, you know, we've gone so far into this energy of like, no, it has to be this way only. And, you know, learning how to bring the pendulum back to be able to be more compassionate and see multiple different sides and understand that what happened to you wasn't your fault, but it's now your responsibility as an adult to sort out. Um, I think a lot of this packs into just our collective mentality of the gay community of like the work that we're doing now so that the future generations don't have to do so much work. Um, Cause it's like you said, Michael, in the AIDS epidemic that's, you know, still going on and still, 
affecting huge populations in the world, everything was just kind of sloughed aside and oh, that's the gay disease. And like people like demonize the gays because of it. But now look at Africa is the largest, one of the largest continents in the world and they are dealing with the aftermath of it. So, and it's not even just gay people. There's actually a very high rise in heterosexuals because people are a lot more fluid and a lot more open these days but they're not necessarily as educated as our community has been because because we face those things we had to then go out and educate our community and be like look we all need to know this information um so that's a whole lot that i just unpacked there but um <laughs> yeah there's a lot of victimization that has happened in the gay community especially you know gay men in the queer community um and i bring it back down to like you just got to do your own personal work you have to take responsibility for yourself and you have to take responsibility for doing the work because nobody's going to do it for you. It, it has to come from inside. And the more we can do that for ourselves, our individual selves, the more it will help and heal the greater community at large. So yeah, what about you, Matt? Mm, yeah, you guys both had some really good things to share. Um, I think that the main things that stand out for me, <clears throat> obviously conversion therapy, I think is is one of the most cruel things we can do to a human being, human being. I'm, I'm all about authenticity and inspiring people to be their most authentic selves and conversion therapy is the opposite of that. It's like, here's your authentic self and we need to change it because it's not right. It's defective. Something's wrong with that. Um, and I just think that that, what that does is it just tells us that we have to start rejecting ourselves and we get shamed and then we internalize shame. And then we shame others, right? It's just this really nasty, vicious cycle of shame, which leads to cruelty. Um, and I think that the gay community has been victimized. Um, probably, probably one of the, the, the biggest ways that I that I see would be um, like having to hide. Like that's this this whole notion of having to hide. Like my whole upbringing revolved around hiding this secret, which was huge it was like trying to hide a mountain you know what i mean and it was so exhausting and it um it really laid the foundation for my whole life like how i relate to the world was really driven by that one thing that one aspect of me that i felt so ashamed of that i had to hide and uh you know hiding our love that's another thing you think about like we have to hide who we love. We can't freely and openly love people like uh, that we want to love. It's that's just fucked when you think about it, right? Um, so just the, just the, and and not, and it being illegal to marry, too, right? Like we we're, a lot of us have dreams of wanting to you know get married or even have kids and things like that, and it's like that totally up until you know a certain point in time in our country at least we weren't able to do those things and it was very much frowned upon. Um, and I'll, I'll, I, another thing too, is that like, we're experiencing this now is like we started doing ads for our business and there's like so much, so many haters, like dropping some seriously, like Fuck crazy bombs. Yeah. Like just like, yeah. Like some really mean things and, and stuff like that. So it's like, it's still happening. You know, and I think this is like, it's birthed out of religion, really. Like, I, I, you, know, you see a lot of the people that are leaving comments. It's like about sinning and like all these things. And it's like, whoa, you know what I mean? Like the religious conditioning on this planet has really, really rooted people in hatred. Um, 
for anything that goes against the beliefs that they hold for themselves. So I just think that, um, yeah, these are some of the things that I'm noticing and, um, yeah, I'm going to leave it there. I have a lot more in the, the following questions, but I'll leave it there. Mm -hmm. Um, Okay, this is, I'm really excited about this question because I think there's a lot of meat in this one. So what impact do you see in our community from this victimization? And I'm going to throw it to Callan this time. Ooh, there's a lot here. Um, I'm going to bring it back to, because we've kind of been circling along this, you know, marriage, legalization of marriage. Mm -hmm. um, so in Canada, 2005, like Michael said, we, we were actually, I think, the third, second or third country to legalize it. But being clear, each individual province had legalized it earlier, but as a whole, as a country, it became, you know, law in 2005. So provinces individually had earlier dates where, yes, it was legal even earlier than that, but as a country, as a whole, it became legal. Um, and so, you know, we were kind of an early trailblazer. And so in Canada, kids who grew up here are growing up in that era, like if they were born in the, you know, 2000 onwards, they're, and they're in like, oh my God, they're like 22 years old now, <laughs> my age. Um, <laughs> they are growing up in an era where their memories only started in a place where it was legal. You know, other countries, maybe not, but in Canada it was. And so the energy that comes along with that transition has, you know, been playing out for, you know, over two decades. Mm -hmm. And so, <clears throat> they have a very different perspective than Michael. You were talking about, you remember the days beforehand. I remember it being bad. I don't remember it becoming legal or being a big deal, but I remember once I had those thoughts to think about it or to look at it, it was becoming legal. Like I graduated in 2005. Um, and so, you know, it's, uh, it's so wild. It's all, it's all just so wild, but being able to marry, you wouldn't think would have such a huge impact, but it makes a massive impact across the world. And other countries look to the countries that are legalizing it and go, well, they can do it. Why can't we do it? And it's, you know, it is sad to say that it is rooted in religious belief and that's why it was fought against. And that's why it still continues to get fought against because people have a belief system where it needs to be this and that. And I'm very proud of the new generations because they are breaking the molds even more than we broke the molds being like, no, who cares? Like all these boxes and all these labels and all these things that we need to be put into or that people try to put each other into are breaking down and changing and evolving and growing. And I love that because I love growth and evolution and change. Cause if we're not here to do that, what are we here for? Like my belief is we're, it's a giant school. We're here on earth and we're here to learn and grow and evolve. And if you're not doing that, then you're devolving and you're dying basically. <laughs> um, and so it has a huge impact in the community because our psychological well-being around this topic in Canada is a lot more well-adjusted than, you know, people over in the Middle East. And I'm going to use that example because I lived there for five years. The Middle East, it's still like, oh, are you a friend of Dorothy? Like kind of style. Like it's the old, like, you know, 50s, 60s, kind of maybe even further back energy of like, oh, it's known about and people know about it, but nobody talks about it. And it's secretly accepted quietly, but out in public, absolutely not. And it's still technically illegal. You can still go to jail um, in specific countries that they still can commit, you know, um, murders or what do they call honor killings? You know, if you disrespect the family, they can honor kill you. Um, and so it's, 
it's messed up. And so the psychology that they grow up in is very different landscape than the psychology we grew up in in Canada, being able to have these rights and these freedoms. And the impact of that on a community at large, it's kind of like, okay, well, we're really doing well over here in North America, westernized cultures like, you know, UK, Australia, we still have our bags of shit that we need to deal with. But then we also have all of our community family members across the world in all these different countries where it's not accepted. And I think that social media and the online world is starting to change that rapidly. Um, I think that, you know, uh, laws and governments take a lot longer to catch up because to do any paperwork and all that, it's just like, uh, you know, you could give a company a billion dollars to do one thing and another company a thousand dollars to do it. And they're both going to achieve it, but one's going to spend the billion and one's going to spend the thousand dollars. Right. It's, it's kind of like that mentality with governments. It just takes so much more, like so much longer to get it through all the paperwork and the processes. But once these kind of impacts start to change, the countries next to them start to evolve and start to change. And so I think the impact of this victim energy is, you know, we maybe didn't experience the same energy around marriage here in Canada, but I definitely felt it over in the Middle East, which is why I couldn't make that a long-term something that worked for me because I couldn't hold somebody's hand. I couldn't do all this. And I, I, I didn't feel like a victim because I chose to go there, but somebody who grew up there and I've met many locals who were gay and it was quiet and the energy of the mentality of, I don't necessarily know if they would be victim energy, but it was just like, it was so crazy in their mind to be like, oh, you can walk down the street and hold somebody's hand and get married and do this. They're like, no, 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 no. You can't do that. You got to get married. You have to have a wife. You have to have kids. And it was almost like a brainwashed victim energy of like, oh no, that's just what you have to do. And it reminded me of like way back in the day here, it used to be the same. Um, and so I think that there's huge impacts that can come from the globalization of all this. Um, and I don't know where I'm gonna take that, but, <laughs> but there's my big spiel about the impact uh, of victimization on a community at large, just using that kind of like marriage as an example. Um, Michael, what about you? Yeah, solid points. Um, I think it is important to, to talk about that aspect and also, you know, some more of the anecdotal stuff as well. So there, there's a lot of impact. So I think it's challenging to answer this question because this this victimhood is wrapped up in a lot of really deep stuff. Shame, insecurity, trust, our ability to trust others trust ourselves, vulnerability. Uh, and this is a lot of the topics that people kind of have a resistance towards talking about. So I think that impact is kind of like what we talked about at the beginning, which was it, we internalize a lot of this stuff, right? So being victimized as a community or as an individual will do a number on your psyche, collective psyche and individual psyche. Mm -hmm. And trying to get to the bottom of that, trying to untangle that is, is it's an emotional minefield in there. Uh, what are these emotions we're dealing with? Where are they coming from? And then how do they manifest in your day-to-day -day life? Right. So shame is not something that like most people, I think just like, Oh yeah, that shame. I recognize that. That's not really not how that works. Maybe for us three, we can recognize it. Not even all the time really, but I think we, we, we just know it doesn't feel good or it feels heavy, but we don't quite want to go into it. 
and we don't quite understand how it impacts us. So I think, yeah, when, when we internalize that, and this is, I'm saying subconsciously internalize that feeling of uh, being powerless, right? So I'm, I'm again, I'm, I'm kind of equating victimizing with powerlessness. Um, we internalize that. And I think, you know, in the next questions, we're going to get a little bit more personal. We can, I can share an example of that, but at the end of the day, there's a lot of pain inside of us and whether we know it or not as a collective community, I don't think, and this is a generalization. I don't think we've really gotten too, too far in learning how to heal that and how to deal with it. And that's why I'm super proud again, to be part of this podcast and the game is brother, because I think, I mean, I know that that is part of what we do. So, you know, this may be the first generation where we are talking about these things openly. And, you know, that goes with the fact that previous generations, and this is not enough to them, they had to fight for survival. They had to fight for rights, which we now have. So in having those rights, I think what's great about this generation is that, okay, we have them now, what are we going to do with it? And that's the important part. That's where we can start to look at, okay, we have been victimized as a culture, as an individual, what do we do with it? And that, that is the power, right? That we've talked about. So that's at the collective level again. Again, at the individual, I think another way I see this 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 impact a lot is in how we relate to others. So if you think about it, we internalize a lot of this stuff. We don't know how to deal with it. It just stays there unexpressed and it bumps up with other people, how we relate to others, especially other gay men. There's that internalized homophobia, perhaps shame, all these different wounds that we are carrying and they get triggered with other people. So I think Again, this is a generalization, but I do think gay men have a particularly hard time having uh, healthy, secure relationships. And I think that we perpetuate a lot of these unprocessed emotions from, from being victimized in, in our relationships. And I'm speaking for myself as well, by the way. Uh, I have That has certainly been my pattern, still is, um, a pattern that I see coming up in my current relationship. So it by no means is something that I've resolved or figured out, but it is a commitment, I think, to continue to, to dive in, see, okay, here's where I'm feeling. It's like I'm being victimized or here's where I'm feeling shame or my trust issues are coming up. Now it's my turn. So on that note, I'll pass it off to Matt. <laughs> oh, that's amazing. Today's a we got day, some hey? action going on today. Yeah, uh, that's great. So hopefully nothing starts on my end. Um, all right. So I'm going to frame this in the context of um, of trauma because this is very alive. And I think actually I'll, I'll, I'll go back a bit. The birth of this came out of this exact question because we all were seeing the impact that shame had and trauma had on our community and we're like people are not accessible people are hiding people are this and it was really um impacting my ability to connect um with other gay men so anyways that's what that's where this all comes from but um so if you look at trauma, okay, so trauma and victimhood, I think are really directly connected because when we experience trauma, we often go into victim energy. And um, you look at the four trauma responses, you have fight, flight, freeze, and fawn, okay? So fight is going to probably manifest itself in the sense of defensiveness, right? So you see in the gay community, you have those, um, those really mean gays 
that are like, you know, you look at them wrong and they like, they, they lash out, they're defensive. They're like, I'm not going to let you hurt me because I've been hurt so much in the past. That's one of the manifestations that I see. Um, and flight is another trauma response and how that shows up in the gay community, I think is, um, is people hiding people hiding, um, not willing to connect and put themselves in community, the lone wolf um, syndrome that we've talked about in previous episodes. I think that is a flight response, right? It's like, I'm not going to even put myself there. I'm going to um, stay away from community because that is where I, I was hurt in the first place was by other people. Um, and then the freeze response, you, you know, you're looking at things like avoidance, emotional avoidance, association, um, numbing, distracting um, these sorts of things so and, and in my opinion that is one of the fuels to us not being able to be intimate and be vulnerable right because we are frozen out of our emotions we're not allowing ourselves to feel right how can we show up and connect with one another if our emotions are completely um, stifled and and disconnected from right um, and then fawning is really interesting because that's more of the pleasing nature. So when people experience traumatization, especially, you know, oppression or marginalization, they become, you know, really good and, and really polite and kind and doing all these things and trying to please everybody because they don't want to experience the rejection or the oppression anymore. Um, and it becomes very self-abandoning and self-betraying, self right? Um, so those are kind of the, the, the ways that I see it show up out of trauma. Um, and then the, the, the biggest one I would say probably for me, and that it has the most impact on me in relating in the community is people shutting off their ability to be, um, to show up in intimacy and vulnerability, which I said already, I think, um, when we, when we experience so much shame and we internalize the message that something is wrong with us why on earth would we take off our masks and show up vulnerably and intimately because we are afraid that we're going to be told that we're defective broken disgusting all the things that we heard in the media or and or heard by people saying them to us um so we learn to hide and we get really good at hiding and i think we hide behind things like materialism right we have all the fancy things we have the most amazing job we are you know everything everything around us is uh, manicured right this that's kind of one of the stereotypes of the gay the gay culture it's like everything has to be perfect and look perfect and the perfect dinner party and you know all the perfect little napkins and everything because it's like that's one of the ways that we overcompensate for the shame that we're feeling um and then my last point is uh around criticism and condemnation because again when we're rooted in shame shame leads to cruelty towards self and others so if we're feeling if we're cruel to ourselves and our internal dialogue is is around bullying ourselves we're we can only treat people the same way that we're treating ourselves vibrationally and energetically so we end up being cruel to other people and we say mean things and we bully people online and um and we we, we put that out and again i want to just really speak to that those people are probably the people that are having the fight trauma response right they're 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 activating their defense mechanisms to try and keep themselves safe right and i just think that our community there's so much trauma in our community it's unbelievable and there's so much trauma in the world to, to speak of and and for those of you who've never heard me speak about trauma like I when I speak about trauma I speak about three types of trauma we have physical trauma we have um attachment trauma and we have interpersonal trauma right all three of them are inundated in our community with different in, in different ways 
Um, so I do, I do think that if we want more, um, more peace and love and empathy and compassion in the community, we need to do our own individual work. Like you said, Callan, like this, the collective, the community will only shift when each individual in the community does their part. Right. And when one of us does our part, we are on the outside of the crab bucket, pulling people up. Right. But when we're not doing our part and we're stuck in, in cruelty and shame, we're trying to pull people back down into the bucket because we don't want people to go out, out of the bucket and be free. We want them to be with us in our misery. Right. So I do think that. Um, yeah, I do, I do, but I, I do, I do want to say too, I feel very hopeful because I'm, what I'm noticing now, just even in the last few years, and maybe this is because, you know, it's a conditioned bias because I'm doing this work all the time, but I do see way more gay men doing this work. I see way more gay male coaches, life coaches, embodiment coaches. Like I'm just surrounded by people who are pioneers and doing this work alongside us. And I'm like, I, it makes me so happy because we need more of this. We need more leaders, uh, leaders towards consciousness and healing in this, in the gay community. And I just think that we're finally getting to a place where, um, like you said, Michael, we're not so focused on, on getting our rights. We have our rights. And now it's like, how can we, we become more, um, wholesome now that we have our rights, how can we bring more consciousness in? So yeah all right let's let's personalize this um i'm curious we'll start with you michael what is your personal experience with victimhood oh you're still got stuff going on okay let's I still go got over. a fire alarm situation here so why don't we go to why don't we go to okay. talon okay and uh, go back to me okay. oh my god i hope the fire alarm stops <laughs> and that there's also not an actual fire there, well there's an actual fire situation i'm fine <laughs> oh, okay well then all right. Um, cool. Well, uh, I guess I shall answer. Um, what is your personal experience? So the next questions are, what are you, what is your personal experience with victimhood? How have you moved through victimhood and what advice can you offer, um, to people who may be stuck in victimhood? And my personal experience with victimhood might blend kind of these last three questions together. Um, but I can unpack them as we go along. So, my personal experience with victimhood comes from my childhood and my parents separating. I was very young and like in early elementary school when my parents separated, it was not a clean separation. It was very messy. My dad brought somebody else into the home very quickly without telling any of us and just assumed like none of us would notice this woman and her child living in our house. Um, and so there was a lot of blame that I placed on my parents for that. And a lot of blame I placed on my dad because I just not like, there was parts of my life getting into adulthood that I, I was a victim when I was younger. And that's the energy I lived in. Cause you don't know what you don't know as a child, especially as a child. And then as I got older, I moved into the angry and like blaming of like, well, my dad's a douche. Like, my dad literally for, couldn't even save his own life if he had to talk about anything. Like he literally is the like, everything is fine kind of a personality and not everything was fine. Um, and so that's where I kind of learned my perfectionist or just like, don't talk about stuff energy because it was just like that. We just didn't talk about things. And that's what fucked me up. And so it kind of moved in 
um to this blaming area of like you're such a dick how could you do this like how could you bring this horrible person into our life like are you you're like you're not an adult enough to just be by yourself for a little while and kind of sort your own shit out before you bring another person in he was very codependent like my dad's very codependent neither of my parents graduated high school so like he had that like it was a lot that went there and so that I lived a lot of victimhood in my childhood and all the things that I went through a lot of it goes back to this horrible woman um and so it's really hard to talk about and to think about it but therapy has been the number one game changer in that regard in just like I I do this work and I do personal development work but you can only figure out so much by yourself. You have to have other people come in and bring their perspectives and bring that stuff. And for me, building a relationship with somebody who I trust in order to share that stuff with, who is a professional, um, that was probably the biggest game changer in that regard. And so that really helped me move through that victimhood, even as an adult now, even in past recent years, of moving from, I would still live in that victim energy of like, this woman did so many awful things to me and treated me so poorly. And I still held on to that, even though I was like, oh, I forgive them. I've written letters of forgiveness. I, I did all the things I thought I was supposed to do. And pardon me. And I intellectualized it a lot because that's where I go. Um, and then working with a therapist really helped me move through the victimhood so that I was able to sit with it um comfortably I like it was uncomfortable but I was able to sit with it with compassion and with somebody else who could have compassion for me to be able to sit in it and to go through those emotions and I think I needed that guide that person to help me do that um and that kind of started unlocking things which was amazing but I still didn't quite understand because I I couldn't figure out how to switch my brain because it would just, no matter how much work I seemed to be doing, it would always come back and I'd always be in the victimhood again, The like when it would really grate on me or when I was down in my life or when something was going on and it was heavy, all of a sudden I was the victim again in that energy. I'm like, can't I just fucking be done with this already? Like, uh. And so what eventually ended up happening is working with my therapist, she kind of explained things in such a different way. Cause you know how they always say get into the body. And I, Matt, I know you talk about this a lot of get into the body, get into the body. And I was like, I am, I like, I do physical things and la la la. But it wasn't until she explained something to me that, you know, this woman had, it was almost like, you know, you were talking about conversion therapy earlier. If you're told something enough over an extended period of time, over a, like years and decades, you're going to start believing the shit that you're told. And so this person told me all these horrible things about myself that I believed for so long. And I, it's not that I believed I was a victim, but I was carrying that energy. Like it was in me and I just wasn't acknowledging it. Mm -hmm. And so I'm told all these things for so long and then that voice that was her starts to become my own internal voice. And it becomes the thoughts I think and the thoughts I tell myself. And working with my therapist, she recognized that I need to name that voice. <laughs> and she, I, she threw out a name and I was like, that's actually her name. Um, so I was like, so I'm not going to use that. Um, but like now I can name it like, you know, the bitch or whatever. And those negative thoughts that I have 
that aren't actually mine, but were drilled into me over time. I can now shift and go, no, this isn't actually my thinking. This is my pre-programming that I need to get out of. Mm -hmm. And also the other part that got added to that was to get into my body is when those thoughts come up or that anger, that like instant anger and that, cause I'm a fight mode. That's what I usually default to. And then when that comes up, I need to physically get into my body. And that means like going and doing like a strong yoga pose or something like that, that it takes me out of the energy I'm in, puts me in my body and grounds me there because I've never felt safe in my body because I've never felt safe outside of my body. Cause my life as a child was so up and down and all over the place. And so realizing all of this through working with a therapist has literally blown my mind wide open and is changing my life in ways that I wouldn't say are necessarily like life changing or big things are happening, but the internal world is shifting slowly. And thus the external world I'm noticing is starting to shift as well. Like things that I wouldn't necessarily go do or didn't want to do, or I thought I didn't want to do. Now I'm like, oh no, I do want to do that. It was my internal, you're not good enough from that time that was programmed into me. Um, so that's how I've experienced victimhood personally. And you know, that's how I've moved through it and how I continue to move through it. And then the advice that I would offer people is, I mean, I'll say it at the end again, but find a therapist. Like we'll put some links. I, you know, there's some links to Canadian ones and, and some American ones that I know of um, specifically LGBTQ um, therapy. Cause I think that that's very important to have somebody who has this similar lived experience so they can genuinely understand. Um, but yeah, that's kind of those three questions wrapped up into one for me. Mm. Um, so, yeah. So now that Michael's got no alarm, let's go to him quick. <laughs> <laughs> thank you. And thank you Colin, for sharing that. I know that that's uh, something that you've that you're a journey that you're on right now. So, you know, thank you for your vulnerability and that I think yeah. a lot of people will, will resonate with that. Okay. So yeah, the, the question, what is your personal experience with victimhood? I had a, I had a hard time with this. I really sat with this one for a while because mother Teresa one sec. Okay. Um, because like Callan was saying at the very beginning, I was one of those people who has a visceral reaction to this sense of identifying as the victim. Like I, I was like, no, 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 that's not me. I'm all about empowerment. So I had a harder time figuring this out, but I will answer this in three parts. So I'm gonna answer this kind of in three separate perspectives, shall we say. So the first is from the perspective of me as a child. In that, she's finishing it. In the, in my childhood, I was like a lot of people, I think, bullied or mocked. For me, the thing was, I was the youngest kid, first of all, in my family. My older brother was athletic and muscular and all those things a good boy should be. I wasn't. Um, and so, you know, plus I was just a shy, I was just a shy kid from as long as I can remember. I don't know where that comes from, but I just was. Um, so I remember being bullied at school. And then I had an older sister who went to my school. She's seven years older than me. And I remember like, this must've been grade one or even, even less than that, but she had to like come to my defense. I remember she had to like come to my defense um, on the schoolyard. And from that moment there, that's the first time I remember adopting the belief that I can't protect myself. And that really stuck with me for a very, very long time. Like I needed 
other people to come to my defense or if I if I was ever feeling victimized I would need someone to come to my defense and that perpetuated this belief that I couldn't protect myself and that stayed with me you know for a while so even as even as I grew up that I didn't I didn't realize this of course um, but that stayed with me um, even within my own family I was mocked I don't know if I'd call it victimized I guess in a sense it was like a psychological but I was mocked right? As being soft, as being sensitive, all these things. I was teased because I, I wasn't, oh yeah, Michael, he's not going to, he's not going to play with us. He's going to stay at home with grandma, whatever. Um, so that is how it showed up as a child. As an adult, here's the second perspective. As an adult, I think what I've learned is the difference between being victimized and feeling victimized. Mm-hmm. So it is a perception, and sometimes we actually are victimized. People take away our power. Yes, sometimes it is a perception of being victimized. And I think that is a very, very, very important distinction that I have come to realize. And I will say this, luckily for me, I'm very grateful that in my adult life, most of my victimization has been a perception of it. So I notice it happening when I get when I feel myself getting defensive, when I get this like fight, Matt, you talked about the responses for me. I think historically it's been flight and still is, but for me, I have the sense of wanting to fight, wanting to justify myself, wanting to justify my actions, my behaviors, my words, whatever. And when I see that happening, I'm like, okay, (laughs) I'm probably feeling like someone has, you know, intruded on me or done something to to victimize me. And that's where I can kind of go within talk myself out of it a little bit and then realize, okay, what's, what's really going on here. And that I think is a very important skill that I, I would really love a lot of people to learn, which is the difference of actually being victimized and the perception of it. And then finally, and this is, I think the one that's most important for me is how I victimize myself. And this is big for me. I, and I've talked on this podcast a lot about that inner critic, the, you know, the, the judgmental version of me, the perfectionist, everything that, you know, we talked about earlier and on many episodes, that part of me still is in there. And he still does want to shame me and criticize me and all the things. And I've been, I've been a victim of my own limiting beliefs. I've been a victim of my own stories, a victim of my own shame. I've been very nasty to myself. I have, I have hidden, I have, argued against things. I've blamed others. I've blamed society. I've been defensive, all these things. But when I look at it and really boil it down, a lot of that has been because of myself. Every victim needs a villain, right? Can't have one without the other. And sometimes there's a very clear distinction, victim, villain, but sometimes it's within. And I think that's a very, for me, has been a very uh, effective place of my own growth is realizing where am I, where am I the villain? for me and where and, and how am I victimizing myself so that's I think where I want to leave it for now um and then in the next question we'll talk about how we move through it but I think those are the three ways that it's played out in my personal life with my childhood uh in my adulthood and, and even within my own psyche mm. thanks for uh thanks for dealing with the, the sound in the background there guys mm. it's all good it's probably louder for you because it didn't it was obviously you could hear it but it wasn't like crazy um, thanks for sh- both your guys' sharings. Um, I always love hearing um, and like experiencing your guys' vulnerability. It's really beautiful. Um, so I've kind of had an interesting experience with victimhood. <laughs> um, 
if you were to ask me two years ago if I was victimized, I would have been like definitely like not right. I I, I kind of took on the whole like dissociate, don't don't let people know that they've had an impact on you. That was a huge defense mechanism I had. I never would let people know that they got under my skin. And um, my most recent awakening, it brought me towards humility, which I was able to start to admit to people that they got, got under my skin. And right, we can only really heal when we allow ourselves to feel the triggers that are trying to, to uh, penetrate us. And, um, but what I've, what I've learned is, um, I have kind of two facets. So the first one would be uh, childhood. A lot of things happened in my childhood, similar to Callan. Um, and I had a lot of stuff around with parents, familial relationship, family system stuff. Um, and then grappling with my, with my uh, sensory processing sensitivity and being gay. Those were two things that um, I was told from a very young age, both within my family system and within the collective, that those two things are not acceptable and you have to change them about yourself. And um, that, that was the victimization really that I experienced. I experienced a dissonance between who I am and, and who I thought I had to be. And that space in between those was so wide. And I did everything in my life. Every choice revolved around not letting people see my authentic self. And um, but on the other side of the coin, I was quite lucky, actually, like, I feel like um, in the gay world, because um, I never really experienced a lot of um, a lot of oppression or marginalization or anything like that. Like, I'm, I have, I've had people tell me like, they don't really like, um, they never knew I was gay, like they don't know until I until I tell them, I think that plays a big part in this. Because if you if you're somebody that is a little bit more outwardly gay, in the stereotype of what that means, um, I think the struggle is a lot more intense and people can see you. You're a visible minority. Whereas I don't describe myself as a visible minority in, in, um, in being gay. And also I, I did become, some of it was manufactured, right? I played hockey. I rode motorcycles. I um, was uber masculine and I tried to be extra masculine too. And I think um, that was, that was probably um, a fawn response to my trauma. I, 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 I was trying to fit in and I was trying to be um, like everybody else because I didn't want to be um, marginalized. So, but where I did internalize, it's the same as what Michael said, is I, it's like vicarious collective victimization or traumatizing because I saw how other people were treated for who I was as well. And that was very traumatizing for me. And I felt victimized. And then what that did is it internalized um, the homophobia inside of me. And then, then I started to victimize myself, right? Um, I started to uh, shame myself for any expressions of femininity. Um, and I actually, it kind of reminds me um, of, of a time I was at the Stampede in Calgary and a couple of my friends were, were behind me and I was walking ahead and they were, they were laughing and they're like, look how Matt wiggles his bum when he walks. And I was like so mortified. I was like, oh my God. And then from that point forward, I, I tried to walk without a wiggle in my bum. And then and that, I was probably like 12 years old at that time. And funny enough, I've developed hip issues and lower back issues throughout the course of my life. And it's probably because I was being rigid and I wasn't allowing my body to move the way it naturally wanted to move. 
So these things start to manifest themselves in our body weight in the way that, that we show up in the world. Um, yeah, I think, okay. And then the last point I had was, um, I, I, I took the route of not wanting to let people know how much they impacted me. I repressed my victim. I didn't allow him to have a voice. And I was so triggered all the time of people that were in victim energy. And this is just in the last few years, I've recognized this. And I've worked with people for the last 15 years and I've worked with so much victim energy. And I've always found it so hard to work with this type of, this type of energy. And, um, even in the, in the brotherhood, when we first started and all this, this stuff coming forward around victim energy, it was so triggering for me. And I'm like, why is this so triggering for me? And it's because I wasn't giving myself an opportunity to voice my own victim, right? My own inner child that felt victimized. He was repressed. So why on earth would I hold space for somebody else to express what I can't express myself? And that was the big trigger for me. So, um, so then what my, my healing was, um, in the last few years is allowing myself to go through all the stuff. And that's why this was such a really challenging year for me is because in order to heal that, the inner, the, the, the victimized inner child, I had to literally go through every single thing that happened to me that I repressed, that I dissociated from. And I had to be with all that. And I had to allow myself to feel victimized and to grieve. And the, the year was, was the, the, the most challenging year of my life by, by far. And that's just within the last, you know, whatever, 18 months, it all kind of happened. And, um, and that's when the greatest healing started to happen is when I let myself be the victim, move through the victim energy. And then on the other side of that is, you know, forgiveness. And just in the last few years I've had, or sorry, the last few months, um, I've had the most amazing healing with both my mom and my dad. And I feel like I fully have let go of what was holding me back. Like my victim got to, to use his voice and I got to tell my parents how I felt victimized. You know, my dad and I had a great cry together. It was very therapeutic. Um, and it's almost like me allowing myself to be the victim and move through that energy. It allowed me to like, stop holding my parents hostage for my life and my suffering. Right. And I was started to take accountability and responsibility for my own stuff. And then I started to notice this like emotional maturity coming through and like the humility coming through and the empathy um, coming through. And uh, so, yeah, I just think that um, the growth that can happen by honoring the victim is just profound. It's so profound. So I wanted to, to share that. Um, okay, so the last two questions. Um, how have you moved through victimhood? So is there anything, I'll turn it to you, Callan. Is there anything you feel you want to add to what you shared before? Um, yeah, it'll be quick just because I know that I already kind of like wrapped that up in a nice bow. But um, <laughs> I'll, I'll piggyback off of what you just said, Matt, because I also have gone through a big healing with my mom. Um, I yeah. recently went home to Vancouver for the first time since, since the since before the pandemic. I haven't been back to Vancouver in like four or five years since I was living in the Middle East. Um, and we never really had a lot of time together that we weren't traveling because I was always the good son who took her on a trip because you know, as a flight attendant, I had benefits. I could fly her to Paris for her birthday, for her 60th in London. And, and, you know, I took her on these nice trips, but it was never a, 
you know, let's sit with each other trips. It was like, we were always doing something. So there was always distractions, but this trip home to Vancouver, there was a lot of time to sit with each other and a lot of emotions happened <laughs> similar to you, Matt. Um, and there was one night, like I cried probably half that trip. First off, it was secretly the first day she went, the first day I was there full, she went to work that day. And I just like laid in her bed and cried for like two hours. Um, and I didn't really know where it was coming from, but it was because I was like finally seeing all the shit, like it was in my face and also all the stuff that she's doing and she's just struggling so hard. Like I come from no money, like nothing. Um, and like my mom had no education. And so it's, she's always just been like on the treadmill running and she can't do things for herself. Cause she just works like 16 hour days. She's like 66. She'd just gone through cancer. There was like a ton of shit to unpack. Um, and when I was there, I made her cry. And then it was just from like so many things. And then I went, I had a shower and then I cried in the shower too. I had also told her that I had cried before. Cause I was like, I cried in a guy. Um, cause I wanted to start being transparent. And then when I came out, after like a dry off and everything and I come out and I go you need to go to therapy you need to go twice a month and if you can't if it you know I'll, I'll pay for it because I can't be this for you I can't be this person I shouldn't be this person this isn't my responsibility um because there's too much here that's not mine and I'm not willing I'm no longer willing to take that on um because that's what a lot of my victimhood was was it was, you know, my parents' stuff. And I was a kid, man. And so through my own therapy, through going through my own victimhood stuff, for the first time, I could be like, this doesn't belong to me. I'm not willing to take responsibility for this, but I am willing to help you figure it out. Um, and then since then, she's, you know, had her first session now and found somebody. It's really great. Um, signed her up on Inkblot. So I'll put that in the notes because I said I would share with people Inkblot therapy. Um, and then she also gets it paid for through work as well up to, I think like $500 a year or something like that. So mm. like, I don't even have to pay for it, at least for the first, you know, however many sessions that costs. And so me being able to move through my victimhood has also healed those relationships. Um, and that's the big stuff that started changing. And I think that's really going to change my family life and my family dynamic. Um, so, yeah, so just, that's all I'm going to say about how I've moved through and, mm. and it affects people around you on deeper levels as well. Um, mm. What about you, Michael? Yeah, you both said it. And Callum, that's a great example. You both said the word that I have in like capital letters, responsibility. Mm. Knowing where your responsibility ends and someone else's begins and vice versa boundaries if you want to call them that as well uh that is how i've moved through victimhood and how i help people move through victimhood it's very important and Callum, i love your example it's perfect knowing where that responsibility ends and says you know this isn't my stuff this is your stuff mm -hmm. so you know you want to take responsibility your power lies in in owning your stuff like owning what you do with it yes you will you probably will be victimized at some point in your life. That's not your fault, right? But what you do with it is your responsibility. And so, you know, the, the suggestion of getting help, getting support, talking about it, very good one. Um, you know, taking back that empowerment. So again, if, if victimhood is the powerlessness, you 
take back your power by saying, okay, here's what happened. What am I going to do with it? I have this thing here. I can't get rid of it. I can ignore it. That's not going to actually make it go away. Or I could acknowledge it, accept it and figure out how am I going to, you know, move on with this. Um, one of my, one of my favorite mantras is that I am an autonomous conscious human being. And every time I kind of repeat that, it gives me a little bit of empowerment. So I think that's another way that I like to um, move through victimhood is remind myself that I am an autonomous conscious human being and I get to decide. I get to decide. Things happen to me. I don't decide that, but I get to decide what I, what I do with them. And that's where, where my power lies. Um, so, yeah, I think, you know, how it's before this, before I had that, that awareness, I would say I would kind of do the opposite where I would keep retelling that story and keep being stuck in the cycle of victimhood where I would blame, criticize, defend, hide all the things we talked about here today without actually processing it. And so, you know, that, that working through it, that Matt said, I think that's, that's the only way. I don't think there is another way. Yeah. You have to work through it. There's no way around it, over it, under it. It's <laughs> straight through the middle and it sucks, which is why having support um, can help you. And, and it does take time, right? So we're on this podcast for what, an hour? Like if someone is listening to this, all of our stories, this has a, first of all, it's taken a lot of time and B, we're still in it. We're all still in it. Um, so, you know, be patient, be, be compassionate, um, be curious instead of judgmental. I know that's a big one for me. So I think those are some of the ways that I've worked through my victimhood and, and how I've seen it help others as well. Thanks, guys. Hmm. I, I, I spoke to some of them already that I had on my list of things I want to talk about, but there's one I didn't. And uh, calling out my ego. This was probably the biggest one for me because, you know, I experienced trauma when I was younger. My All of those responses, I went, I moved through all of them, all four of those responses. And then the ego plays into every single one of them. And we developed these ego defense mechanisms like denial, projection, blaming, minimizing, rationalizing, intellectualizing, dissociating, right? All of them. I played out all of them. My ego was so cunning. It, it could it could navigate everything. It was perfect, but it was keeping me in here. And it wasn't allowing me to get into my body where the healing had to take place. And um, my ego became, well, it was my greatest asset for a lot of my life. And I have a lot of gratitude for that because it allowed me to keep myself safe. But it, I got to a point where my ego was becoming my a block to my healing. So calling out my ego meant I had to get real with myself. And thanks to you two and like Reno and Benoit and all the guys in that period of my life that were reflecting back to me, just constantly mirroring me and triggering me and allowing me to, to soften my ego, allow my ego to become more flexible. That's when I started to realize, oh, yeah, I'm projecting or, oh, yeah, I'm denying or, oh, yeah, I'm minimizing. I'm doing all these things. And then I had to call myself out, catch those things. And then once I stopped engaging in those patterns, I was able to connect into the felt sense of, of, of it. And I, then that's when I connected to my inner child. And that's when the healing started to take place. So you're right, Michael. This is a very it's a it's a process. It's a it's a tenuous process that we go through and we have to really be patient and we have to be curious. We have to be all the things because um, for a lot of people, this is this is the the transformation of a lifetime. Like ending victimhood and entering emotional maturity, that is the transformation of a lifetime. That's when your relationships become more functional, um, and everything just seems to come together, right? Because we're not keeping ourselves stuck anymore. So, 
Okay, last question. What advice do you guys have for the audience um, around if who might be stuck in, in their own victimhood? I think we've given a lot of tips today, but maybe we can each pick a few that, that stand out for us. <laughs> therapy. Therapy, okay. Callan. Callan loves therapy. I love it as well. And also for anybody out there being like, well, I can't afford it or I don't have time. All of those are just excuses. If you really, really want to work on your fucking shit, stop making excuses for it and figure it out mm -hmm. because it's nobody else's responsibility as we've been saying and i'm gonna get real down on this it's nobody else's responsibility people yeah. can help you but no if you want to do your shit figure it out google it look up outreach programs where you can find free counseling there's always a way mm -hmm. michael <laughs> yeah uh that one obviously um i would say i have one that i didn't share it's kind of it, it kind of goes back with what i was saying about um taking ownership of of your story. So literally what I will have clients do is write their story, literally write the story mm -hmm. of whatever, whatever has been troubling them or whatever, whatever is in their past. We don't, it's not necessarily attached to victimhood, but something in their past that's been, that they're hanging on to. We have them write their story, everything, just dump it all in there. And then what we do is go through it and we'll honor it first of all, because it's the emotions are, are valid, whatever comes through there. So honor it, validate it, fine. And then we find the meaning in it, right? So there's a lot of questions you could ask. What was the purpose of this? What has this taught you? Those kinds of things. Mm -hmm. But the important part, the I think the part that I really want to underline here is what I have them do after is go back and imagine that that is only half of the story. And then they get, get to write the rest of it from that hero perspective. So they are the hero of their own story as opposed to the victim because in the first iteration they're writing the story in that in that victim consciousness mm -hmm. and then we go back and say okay great now take that and then write the rest of it but write it as if you're the hero and so if your hero in your story gets a complete shit kicking mm -hmm. fine that's we're not denying that we're not minimizing that it sucks it happens what does he do with that he gets, you know, I, I'm a big Harry Potter fan. So I always use the, the, the Harry Potter kind of mold here. He was um, victimized. Uh, he was by his muggle parents or, or I guess aunt and uncle. And he went to school and, you know, everyone who's watched the movies or read the books knows what happens. You know, it, it's, it's, a, it's a hero's journey. But so often we don't, we kind of forget that we are the hero of our own story. So I will have them do that so that it reminds them that they are the author of the rest of the story and that helps to take back that power and how you choose to write it is completely up to you what you choose mm -hmm. to do with it if you want to recognize the lessons if you don't if you want to whatever you want to do with it that is where your you, you get your power back so that's my my last tip mm -hmm. love it love it um okay so for me um allow yourself to feel <laughs> i'll keep saying that until the day i die because <laughs> it liberated me my felt sense liberated me and i can't i can't think it enough so um allow yourself to feel and i feel like if you're somebody that naturally represses the victim energy and you're like i'm a survivor i'm not you know sometimes we have to go backwards we have to go through the victim and then we actually move back into survivor, right? Sometimes our ego is telling us we're a survivor, but we're actually not in the felt sense of being a survivor. Um, and I think that's um, that leads to the next one. So don't try to be further along than you are. Um, let yourself grieve, right? Because I think um, when we're looking at victimhood, what, what most of us are trying to move towards is forgiveness. 
Um, and sometimes we are, we're telling ourselves we're further along or it's like, yeah, I'm like, I'm healed or yeah, I've forgiven them and we're good, but we're just thinking forgiveness. We're not feeling forgiveness. It's a completely different experience, right? Thinking healing or feeling healing, it's going to be the game changer. Um, and for those of you um, that are more on like the mindset stream, like you need mindset shifts to help you move. I would say one thing that helped me was um, instead of asking yourself, why is this happening to me? Or why did this happen to me? You can say, what can I learn from this? Or what did I learn from this experience? Like always looking at the silver lining because um it kind of shifts us into gratitude. Like everybody comes into this life with a set of karma, right? And, and a set of things that they need to learn in this life. And um, I think some of us, we need to learn our lessons through suffering and through being a victim and, and that. And I think when we start to re reframe our suffering, um, it allows us to liberate from it because it's like, oh yeah, I needed that. I needed that in my experience in order to evolve into this amazing person that I am now or am becoming. Um, so yeah, those are my my tips any final thoughts from you two before we wrap up no nope, feeling nope. complete yeah okay. well this was a longer episode so if you made it this far <laughs> we do thank you for for coming on the journey with us we had fire alarms and drilling and the whole gamut that's what i wanted to say we were filming this during the last week of Mer mercury retrograde which is like is technology and all the digital stuff so like it's just funny that it all happened yeah yeah but hey it's real it's authentic what we're delivering to you guys so that's what it's all about um and i want to uh, take a moment to just welcome all the new people to the gay men's brotherhood private facebook group we've had a lot of new people joining recently and we want to welcome you if you're tuning now tuning into the podcast um so yes great to have all these new faces in the community and if you are watching on youtube uh please subscribe and hit the bell icon so you'll know when we get to uh, upload a new podcast each week and um, comments please comment on our youtube because we use them for reviews and we also try our best to respond to all the comments that come through um, and if you're listening on your favorite podcast platform please leave us a star rating preferably five stars and uh, and also a review because we use those in here as well so yeah much love Thanks for your vulnerability today, boys. I appreciated that. And uh, I look forward to the next episode, which will be forgiveness. Can't wait to talk about that one. All right. Bye, guys. Bye.